Jesus, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for our church family, just the relationships that you bring into our lives, God, to help build us up, to help hold us accountable, God, to help praise and to help pray, God, for just whatever it is that we're going through in our lives. Just help us to remember that as we bring all these prayers and petitions to you, God, that we would just have thankful hearts, Lord. Um, we just thank you for who you are and how you take us for who we are. We just pray over our service today, pray over Joseph as he brings the message, Lord, and that our hearts are open and ready to receive your word. Amen. All right. So we obviously last week had a little departure from the series we've been going over, but not really because, uh, we had our baptism celebration, and uh, I I thought it went fantastic. Uh, you know the the big thing. You know, uh, Jen Spence was telling me after it was done and said, uh, uh, "Well, this was definitely nicer than um, this was definitely nicer than you know." However, I was baptized, and and a part of me kind of said, "So, so what you did was less nice than an inflatable hot tub at a baseball shack." Um, so I was like, well, I don't know where you got baptized then, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, so it, it was a nice time. It, um, you know, I thought everybody kind of came together really well. Um, and the thing that, uh, was nice about it, this wasn't deliberately planned this way, but I mean, if you think about it, what we've been talking about over the past several weeks then was really getting to, um, what it means to know God and then going into what it means to submit to God and what kind of the cost and what goes along with that, and then what it means to commit to God, and then we had a baptism service. Um, so it's kind of neat how everything kind of kind of fit together. Um, and you know the part that I kept um, that to me uh, I kept you know kind of zeroing in so much was that during this you know setting up everything obviously we're doing it over at Lauren and John O'Brooks place you know over the swing shack and whenever anybody uh you know volunteers themselves or their time or their property or their resources or anything you know I always can't help but be just extremely thankful for it um and I think I think part of that might just be kind of collateral from you know co- uh, collateral from a uh, you know, doing youth ministry for so long, where a lot of times it's kind of throwing things on your back and carrying it over the finish line. Um, and when I was talking with Lauren and Jono, and they kept like emphasizing over and over again, saying like, "This is this is here. Like, you guys can use it anytime you want for this and this." And uh, um, it, it's the kind of thing where you know, in in a weird way, I feel like I get kind of uncomfortable when people offer that kind of help. Um, this is something that uh, I know that that Shelby sent me some, or you know, when we were talking over. Um, uh, uh, talk, talk, you know, texting about some stuff, you know, and I was over here at like 10 p.m. You know, she was like, "Do you need me to come?" At like 11, 15. She was like, "Do you need me to come down there?" I was like, "No, no, no, it's fine. I got it. I got it." And she's like, "No, really. Like, if you're down there at 11, 15 p.m. doing stuff, like, I'm right here. I can help you out." Um, which you won't be there anymore because now you'll be somewhere else. So, uh, you'll be all the way on the other side of church. It's a big inconvenience. Uh, but you, you know, so, and it, it's, you know, all those times I feel like I get very uncomfortable with that. And it, 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 it sits here and kind of rings true, uh, what John has kind of told me in the past, which is like, 
Sometimes if somebody wants to help you out, don't rob them of the blessing of wanting to help you out. Uh, not just because it's about you, because in, in a lot of ways it's not about you. It's about the fact that they also want to serve, right? And that's something that you know we want to encourage. It's something that um, especially encourage because you know it's like on the one hand you'll have people will pop out of the woodwork and say like I want to help, I want to give, I want to do something. Um, and then on the other hand, whenever it's like we're doing things as a church, you know, uh, not not this church, but just in general, you know, typically it's a mantra of like, oh, well, I'm a part of church X Y Z, and we're doing this big effort, and I just can't find anybody to help out. So it's kind of funny that you end up in this dichotomy of like sometimes you don't have people to serve, uh, but then you have people pop up, and I think what it is is that. Um, you know, sometimes people want to serve because there's, you know, other motivations or maybe there's something that they get out of it or maybe they just kind of like you and they want to help you out. And I think we get wrapped up sometimes in um, the idea that church service has to be a certain kind of way, you know, especially from like a church leadership perspective. We kind of get rolled up in the idea that serving in the church is I, uh, you know, go out and I build ramp, you know, ramps for people who need wheelchair accessible, you know, accessibility into their house or something like that. Or I need to go do this, this uh, mission trip in Africa. And if it's not, that's not service. You know, we get these ideas that service has to look a certain way, but in reality, when we start looking scripturally at what God calls us to do, it's God calls us to have this, this, this heart to want to serve other individuals. Because when you look at the life of Christ, it mirrors very closely exactly how Christ lived his own life. It was this life of saying, I don't need to serve anybody, but I choose to do it because it's a way of showing my love. And so this is where we get to kind of the last in this, this series that we've been talking about, about you know actually being a Christian rather than just kind of seeming like you're a Christian. Because if I know who God is and I've submitted my life to him and I've committed my life to him, then naturally that has to at some point in time impact how I'm going to act. You know, how I conduct myself and prioritize things in my life is going to start being bent towards something that is more selfless as a result of this new identity I have. And that, in fact, actually kind of leads us to the, the, the first question that you know I was I was kind of looking at when it comes to this subject of service and that's is it really necessary if you're going to be a Christian is it really necessary to have service like is that a required aspect of being a Christian you know it's this very typical question that we ask ourselves because we so much are conditioned to have an idea have have this concept of belonging where I belong to something because here's the requirement. And so we always want to ask this question and say, well, in order for me to be a good Christian, how much do I have to give or how much do I have to do or how much do I have to serve or, or how much you know, time do I have to invest? You know, we, we want to know what the requirements are. And so service is the exact same way. The general concept of service, people want to you know, look at it and say, is this something I really have to do? Because many people are not, you know, are, are not at the stage where they feel like they, they really are jazzed about going and serving. You know, they don't they don't want to kind of roll up their sleeves and get involved in in the business of the church. And it kind of, again, from an organizational church perspective, it can sometimes lead to this weird middle ground or no man's land where individuals feel like, well, if I'm not helping out in the church, am I like am I like not a real Christian? Um and vice versa. If I'm helping out in the church, does that therefore mean that I am a Christian? And neither one of those statements are true. You know, it's it's serving is not going to somehow earn you favor with God. That's not really how that works. Uh, but it's also not true to say that if I have a life that is truly, you know, 
transformed by who Christ is, by Christ's own nature, that, uh, you know, I don't really need to serve. Like that, that, that statement is also kind of a weird statement because the reality is that if I'm going to say I am a new creation, I've been transformed by the heart of Jesus Christ, and I'm now a part of the body of Christ, then it's inconceivable that I won't have a heart that in some way, shape, or form wants to serve, whether that's serve big church serve or whether that's serve find people in my life that I can serve. So case in point, we can look at a couple of scriptures that are things that – uh, uh, things that we end up seeing all the time. You know, these, these coffee mug verses I talk about. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, we read, Now you are the body of Christ and, indiv- and individual members of it. It's important for us to understand that when we commit our lives to Christ, we are not just free radicals floating around out there that now have this have this business card that says that we belong to a church. It's that we are not actually a part of a collective. That this is a a very like weird concept, I guess, to to merge into the American psyche. You know, this idea that, you know, we love being independent. You know, we love being able to say I can take care of myself and I can do my own things. And that's all well and good on a worldly level if you want to be that way. But the reality is that from a spiritual and eternal perspective, there is no eternity with Christ without being with Christ. You have to actually be a part of Christ's family, of his body. You have to have union with Christ's kingdom, the collective of his kingdom, in order to be on the team. If you're not a part of the collective, the community, then you're not truly unified with Christ. Because the reality is that what Christ asked for is submission to a life being a part of his work. And so that what that means is if we are going to, in all good consciousness, call ourselves Christians and say, I have a life, I have a mind that's been truly transformed, then I have to acknowledge that the new identity that I have been created in is one that no longer just simply lives to how I want to do Jesus. It's I live unto how Jesus wants me to do Jesus. And so it's a different mentality. This is the meaning of when we get into 2 Corinthians 5.17, a, a famous verse, one of the ones I really love. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and see, the new has come. This idea that I'm no longer the person who lived unto myself. You know, I no longer live unto society, or I no longer live unto my career. I live unto Christ, and the physical manifestation of Christ on this earth that persists to this day is the church, not the church, organizational church, you know, a specific building with a sign church, but the communal church, the idea that we are a part of this team, we're working together, and we all have different roles to play. Some of those roles may be Maybe things that we view as the very traditional church service types of roles, uh, things that we see when we talk, give me- messages about like spiritual gifts and things like that. Some of these things may seem less traditional from our like way that we've come to know church. It may be that we're used to thinking that like, oh, well, if I like visiting people and uh, you know in the hospital and whatnot then the way the church does that is through like care visitation groups and stuff like that, you know, and, and uh, bereavement groups and things like that, which kind of belies the fact that all of that all of us as Christians, you know, nothing stops you. You don't have to be on a specific organization in order to say, there's an individual who I know is sick, so I'm going to go reach out to them, or I'm going to bring them food, or I'm going to send them cards, or something like that. You can kind of see exactly this in how we've been trying to celebrate with Judy and Hayden uh, Harris-Bull and with their, their son Grayson, 
as they've been sitting here going through this, uh, you know, very exciting but very kind of exhausting transition in their lives into parenthood and, and, and trying to get used to all everything that that entails. It's something where we don't have like a single organization that, you know, exists within our own church per se that we say that's the organization where it's their responsibility and it's their job in order to make certain that people are cared and visited. No, what we have is we have a, a need was brought up and some people are very much moved towards that type of service, towards bringing people meals or towards reaching out to people and offering them encouragement. And some people are not, and that's fine. There's no guilt associated with that. It's just that some people have that gift. They have that, that skill, that, that, that sensitivity in their mind. This is something that I know for myself, you know, it's, it's, I, I kind of feel like, you know, God has, has at least worked on me in my own life in different ways where he knows I'm deficient for whatever role he's calling me to be in. Where, uh, you know, I, I obviously like getting into like the academics of the Bible a whole lot. But sometimes, you know, the, the more touchy-feely, charismatic-y kind of side of things is something that I, 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 I like being a part of. But I'm not really like a leader in that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's been one of these things where in different periods and where God has called me, you know, I've seen how – uh, you know, the reality is that I look at it and say, hey, you know, I don't really feel like I'm called to be the charismatic person. And, you know, God has supplied other people who are the charismatic person, you know, or in this moment, now I need to be this type of person. And God, you know, supplies me with whatever that is. Um, and in our lives, I think a part of, you know, this is how we end up seeing service manifest itself is that we have certain things that God has kind of endowed us with, that God has given us to be able to use for his kingdom. And so when we have those things, it becomes important for us to stop and you know be very self-aware about the fact that God has given me this ability to do something. How am I using it for his glory and for his purposes? Because I no longer live unto myself. So if I have this, you know, if I can sit here and, and run my mouth and public speak, there are tons of things that I could do. But am I using it in a way that glorifies God and that somehow is, is, is building up the body of Christ? That should be the way that our minds are now oriented now that we are these new creations. This idea of spiritual gifts is obviously something that we end up seeing uh, several times throughout the Bible. Uh, but hovering just for a second on the idea that you know we are a part of this collective, I want to bring up something else that you know I was reading, and it was kind of like a tangent that I was going down, and I kind of saw this and thought this would be a good thing to throw into the throw into the sermon. And it's this thing that we end up saying when people are making accusations against Jesus in his own life, because you know early on people didn't really know exactly what to make of this guy, because Jesus didn't come out there and say like, hey, he he didn't do the like Tony Stark Iron Man thing, if any of you get the reference, that like you know where he stands up in front of everybody and goes like. Like, well, I'm Iron Man. You know, like Jesus didn't like stand up in front of people and just go like, oh, I'm the son of the living God. Like he, he didn't really like start his ministry that way, right? So people, you know, they could, they could kind of tell what was going on. They could see that there was something more than what meets the eye. But, you know, many people just thought he was either a miracle worker or that he was just a good teacher or – whatever else, a crazy man. Some people even thought he was a demon worshiper, right? And so you can see 
this interesting idea of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and why it's so important for us to identify that way when you see how he responds to these accusations. In Matthew 12, verse 22 through 20, we see this little interaction. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him, Jesus. He healed, he healed the man so that the man could both speak and see. The crowds were astounded and said, could this be the son of David? So there you go. Some people start to kind of figure out and go, could this be the guy? Could this be the Messiah we've been looking for? Then the Pharisees heard this. They said, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebub, which is a name for Satan we don't use enough in the church because it's kind of neat. Uh, this man drives out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. Then how then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he, is, unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. It's that last little bit there that you can see in the importance of unifying with the body of Christ. That even as he is countering these accusations by these Pharisees who no doubt, you know, it's hard to tell whether they actually believed what they said or not because, you know, there's clearly an agenda they have. But, you know, the, these individuals who are trying to say, well, this is an individual, he's driving out demons, but only because he's the ruler of demons. And Jesus kind of points out, well, that's kind of silly, right? If I'm the ruler of demons, I want there to be more demons. So I wouldn't drive out demons. Uh, so, you know, Jesus is appropriately pointing out here at the very end, anyone who is not with me is against me. That sounds like a very reductive way of looking at things, but this is the nature of, of purity. It's the nature of glory. It's the nature of Christ. That someone cannot be saved by grace and simultaneously not saved by grace. You know, somebody cannot be for the things of God and simultaneously be against the things of God because whatever is not for him is against him. Uh, so there is a, a, a there is this kind of true, false, black, white binary that exists when it comes to our affiliation with Christ. If we are a part of the body of Christ, then we are a part of the body of Christ. It means that our priorities and our sense of what we need to be doing, our sense of mission, our, our sense of purpose is completely driven by what Christ uh, by, by what Christ wants to see done in this world. And so it leads to this. Uh, uh, answer to the question of is it necessary to serve and this is the way that i was writing it down when i was uh uh trying to you know kind of process things i said if we're new creations of christ if this is true that we are actually made new creations of christ and if being a new creation means that we're a part of the body of christ and if a house divided against itself is going to fail then what all of that together means is that we are new creations that are now known in christ and we must be a part and pulling in the same direction as the body of christ or else the body will fail and the one thing that we know about christ is that he will not fail. And so the only possible conclusion you have is that if I have now committed my life to Jesus Christ, then it means I must be bent towards the things, towards the works, towards the service of what the body is pulling towards. Is it necessary in order, is it necessary to achieve salvation to conduct some sort of service in your life? Absolutely not. It's not a transaction. However, if I have truly been transformed 
by who Jesus Christ is, and if I have dedicated my life towards the things of Christ, will I be bent towards wanting to serve others in my life? Yes, absolutely. So you see how that works. It's that the, the, the key is not found in the fact that I'm doing service and therefore this is who I am. It's that this is who I am and therefore I want to engage into service. So that's kind of the answer to this question. It's something that I think you can naturally say uh, if I see somebody and you know they're, 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 they don't really have this heart for service – they may still very well be a perfectly fine Christian. They're just kind of at this stage of maturity and growing and all of that. Uh, but the goal for all of us should be that, you know, if we find ourselves in a place where I'm like, I don't really feel like I'm called to serve. I feel like I'm just, you know, kind of uh, having fun in, in, you know, just doing Bible studies or just going doing my Sunday thing or whatever, then I think what that should do is it should prompt us that maybe we should be seeking to grow deeper because our relationship maybe is not allowing ourselves on the outside to be totally transformed the way we see the Bible calling us to be. So that gets into do we need to serve? I think the next thing we have to get into is kind of the next obvious question, which is what does it actually look like to have this life dedicated towards service? Because I was already getting into the fact that, you know, service is not necessarily just service uh, to the church. You know, it, it's the type of thing where, yes, you know, your your local, your 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 actual tangible uh, immediate family church, so to speak, does need service to help make it work. However, in our own lives, the way that God calls us to act is not necessarily confined to the organizational structures we've created. It's not confined to everything has to go through the church, which is one of the reasons why in this particular church I've looked at it and said, I am very, very pleased whenever individuals pop up and say, here's an individual thing. Can we reach out and help this person or this family or this cause or whatever it is? Because that's really how this should work. It should be something where it's not the monolith of the church popping up and saying, we are making the strategic decision to go in this direction. Uh, that's not how – I mean bluntly, that's not really what I see as my job as a pastor to dictate to everybody how God is calling them to serve. That's between you and how the Holy Spirit is calling you to act. It is our job to sit here and to, to encourage, to support, to motivate, to grow, to convict, to do all of these things so that you will be moved to want to serve other individuals in your life. And then once you see that opportunity to serve, that there would be no obstacle in your way to trying to serve them because you have a family behind behind you to help make that happen. If you have that, you know, family that seems like they're homeless that you're trying to reach out to a minister to and everything. All right, well, let's surround you with the whatever the resources or the the guidance or whatever it is to make certain you can reach out to that family or if we need to, you know, provide for somebody who's not able to uh stay home with their kid because of some stupid policy about maternity not covering adoption or whatever it is, then like, okay, fine. That's a thing that you identified and let's surround, you know, whatever resources and support that we possibly can. That's the way this stuff should be working. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't work through, uh, you know, the church strategically from the top down, popping up and, and hosting events and things like this. But I think the true sign of a healthy, thriving, successful church is going to be a church that has individual members in it that realize that they are individual parts of the body and that they are all serving the body of Christ, not necessarily the strategic imperatives of whatever a bunch of trustees have decided we need to do. 
With that being said, this starts getting into the attitude we have behind serving. If it was just simply about gaining service hours and that's all that was, then it would be easier to have a church that pops up as the monolith and has the board of directors and has the deacons and the elders and the whatevers that say, like, these are the things we're going to do and this is how it's going to work and everybody needs to fall in line and help. If we were just after quantity of hours, then there you go. You got that. But when you do that, I mean, just from a practical standpoint, things start breaking down pretty quick. There's this gag that I know that uh, John Christ, who has, has has been described in the past as being my spirit animal, uh, there he uh, has this thing where it talks about like you know the the honest uh, mission mission trip leader, and it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, but one of the things that he points out in there is he's going through like the agenda and he goes through like every day what they're going to do. And part of the gag is that they're gone for like five days. There's only one day where they actually do any work. Um, and, uh, on the day they do work, he says, okay, so on Wednesday, we're going to go down to the local school and we're going to paint all the walls and everything. Now, is this in an area where there's high unemployment and they could probably use the jobs, uh, to, you know, paint the thing themselves? Yes, of course it is. Is this a room that was just painted one week ago by another group who was here and they did do a good job, so we're actually repainting it? Yes, it is. You know, is this something where in reality we'd probably be doing a lot more to minister to people by working through people who actually know and have relationships with the local population and helping them to be able to minister to the people in their own community? Again, yes. But that's not the point, and don't let anything distract us from the true objective, which is to get pictures of little children in other countries for the Facebook page. And I thought it was hilarious, but the part that was in the middle of it that I thought that 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 to me at least was ringing true was that whole idea of you know bringing people in to sit here and do stuff, and they're just trying to like get their hours or do their thing or they're doing their mission trip, and so you go in, and sometimes you don't really get super great work. Now, while the quality of your work is not necessarily what I'm sitting here trying to hone in on, there is something behind the attitude behind that. Part of the reason why you get that kind of substandard service hour type work oftentimes is because it's a compulsion thing. They're being forced to do it, you know, and you're just trying to clock your time, right? And I feel like churches can fall into the exact same trap where, you know, you're looking at it saying, well, of course we need to be doing service things. So we're going to go and kind of manufacture service opportunities. And maybe you don't end up having the impact you would actually need because maybe that's not what God is laying in front of you. You know, one of the, uh, you know, as we've been sitting here trying to plan things, you know, in, in this church and where we're kind of move, going to move next, from time to time, you know, there will be a thing that will pop up and say, well, aren't we going to do a blank, you know, and, and some kind of like service type opportunity. And whenever that happens, you know, the, the, the conversation I always find myself getting into is, is this a need that is that is an actual need or is this something that we're doing because we feel like all the churches do this service thing and it's something if you're a church you just kind of have to do this service thing so if we're going to be a real church we have to do it because if that's the case maybe that's not the need that god is calling us to and maybe this is something we feel like we're doing maybe we're just clocking service hours there is a attitude that goes along with our concepts of service i'd point us to ephesians 6 verses 6 through 8 something we read here uh, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. Now, while I've heard people use this verse to kind of push some kind of prosperity gospel type of thing to say, oh, well, whatever I do, the Lord will provide that back. So if I give uh, you know, $50 to the church... And then I uh, 
what is it? I proclaim it and claim it or whatever the phrases is that the, those people use. Um, you know, people will try to use this as, as some kind of transactional thing, but the reality is that what this is getting into is this is getting into the idea that there's an attitude that goes along with our service, that we want to be serving with a heart that wants to please God. And what that means when you apply it in a pragmatic sense to our lives is that it's not about pleasing public perception. It's not about pleasing other individuals uh, who you know may look at what they want in a church. It's not about pleasing whatever the reputation is. It's about pleasing the Lord. And that may lead you to some odd places. It may lead you to something where you do a lot more works that don't post as well on social media. It might lead you to a place where I feel like it's led us frequently, which is that due to the nature and the sensitivities of the needs out there, you absolutely don't want to publicize what exactly you're doing because you're helping somebody through a very personal time in their lives. And so as a church, we want to pump into you know uh, our resources, our support, our people and everything to whatever this need is, but we're not going to sit here and publicize it for the sake of our own clout because uh, it's not about that. It's about pleasing the Lord. And what is also interesting about this, and I'll just kind of put this out there and then just let it breathe and not not really dig into it that much. It leads you into this interesting situation where you may be looking at it and saying, maybe me serving, maybe me answering a calling isn't even necessarily about pleasing the person that I feel like I'm called to serve. Maybe in reality, there is a degree of looking at something and saying, I feel like God has called me to help and to serve this individual, but it might not be in the way that individual expected it. It might be in a totally different direction. This is something that Josh has, you know, talked to me a lot, you know, over the, the past, you know, uh, several months about, you know, this, this guy and this family that he's been you know, trying to work with and trying to help. And I, you know, I, I, I keep getting encouraged about the, the way that you know he talks about reaching out to these individuals, uh, but it's definitely not in the way that they expected it. You know because it, it's 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 the 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 vague version of the story is is basically that it's a family that you know has kind of been squatting in a place for a while, and you know now the landlord doesn't even you know want them want them around, doesn't even want the back rent, but he's going through the whole process, and the first thing you gotta do is say here's how much rent you would have owed me and all that to a victim, but in doing that, you know this these individuals you're know, really either looking for uh, you know somebody to help pay the rent to get them up to date so they can keep living where they're living or something like that, and you know Josh has been like providing them all these resources and try to talk with them. But honestly, the biggest service that he's probably done to this individual is he's just like refused to ignore the guy. You know, even after the guy turns around and, you know, doesn't take whatever the help is that Josh is offering, it's that he, you know, continues to, to talk with the guy and treat him like an individual who's deserving of compassion. And I look at that and I can't help but think of that when I read this about the fact that sometimes our service isn't necessarily even about optimizing how pleasing we can be to the person we're called to serve. It's about pleasing God. And so I think that as we sit here and we evaluate what we do and how we do it, we have to keep that in mind. You know, if there's something that, you know, we feel like, well, you know, there's multiple ways I could help this person out. And maybe if we do it this way, you know, the individual popped up and said, oh, we'll give you a lot of, you know, uh, uh, good publicity and good press for your church or, 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 you know, for you or whatever. Um, Maybe that's not the most important thing. Maybe the most important thing is pushing away traditional 
uh, ideas of what it means to of what it means to, to to serve and to kind of get that little that little thank you, and instead just kind of continue doing what God has called you to do and trust that God will give you the credit that you deserve. So there is an attitude that comes along with serving, and I think it, it can best be summarized in this phrase that I used to tell youth all the time, which is that God doesn't need you. That's the reality. Don't ever be tricked into thinking that God needs you and your skills and your talent and your energy and all of that. Because rest assured, if you weren't around, he'd still do what he needs to do. You can look time and time again in the scriptures at individuals that were, you know, anointed kings and that were God's chosen people and all that. And you have the anointed king. He doesn't do what God wants to do. Goes fine. I'll go get another one. And where there's these chosen people, you know, this is why I think, you know, when people, especially when people do this weird, like, religious nationalistic thing and, you know, talk about, like, well, as a nation, we need to be like this because just look at Israel and everything. Israel was a hot mess, like, and and is the whole idea that God stuck around with them should be proof that uh, the dedication and piety of the nation isn't necessarily directly connected to God sticking around with you. God sticking around with you is about grace, not about how Christian you are looking. Uh, but, you know, you look at the nation of Israel, and when the nation of Israel didn't want to do what they were doing, uh, God had no problem going to pagan nations and saying, like, I'm going to use that pagan nation or go reveal a messenger to that pagan king in order to go and make sure my will is done. So God doesn't need us. However, he does desire to work through us. He does desire as a part of his grace and his mercy and his love and pursuit of us to allow us to be able to see his blessings and to see his his glory and his work by working through our efforts. And so it is that attitude, that mentality we should use when we approach the idea of serving other individuals or other groups or other communities. I'm doing this because I want to be able to catch a glimpse of the glory of what God can do, not show off a testimony of what I can do in the name of God, because God doesn't need you carrying his water. I'm doing it because I have the privilege of doing it. So this gets us into like, well, what does it actually look like? There are whole series and whole Bible studies about spiritual gifts and everything. But this is where we start getting into spiritual gifts. And there, there's really no amount of time, and I'm trying to keep things shorter than I normally do. So there, there's no amount of time that I could use to sufficiently go through uh, you know, all the spiritual gifts. But, I mean, you have to bring it up at this point. This is where you start getting into things that we read where we start saying uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start kind of at the end and then go back to the beginning for a second. But in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 28, we read, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. All Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. I love the fact that, you know, he goes through and he talks about all of these different, you know, things that people do, and then also highlights the fact that we're all different, because there is a diversity. There should be a diversity in the church. It's one of the reasons why churches as organizations have to be so careful when they say, well, this is the service we do, and if you don't do it like this, then clearly you have a problem with service. 
That's not how that works because we're all different people. There is a sense of diversity that is a beautiful thing, that there should be people who think different and people who process things different and people who have different types of uh, hangups and different reservations and different motivations and, and all of those things help everything work together. It's a great example of that from this last week that, that I'll share later. Um, but uh, you know you can you can see how a church works better when all of the parts are functioning towards the same goal of pleasing God, not the same goal of conforming to the same activity or the same cloud or whatever it is. So with that being said, there's a second thing that I think is really, really interesting because, again, you could go days and days and days about spiritual gifts. But this is the part that I really found interesting in verse 12 or in chapter 12, and it's when you go earlier on. In verse 4 through 6, now there are different gifts but the same spirit. There are different ministries but the same Lord. And there are different activities but the same God works, all of them in each person. An anecdote from my past. So at, at, at what I would kind of consider the peak of my youth ministry stuff in terms of hours being put in. I know I was literally just saying hours don't matter. But in the peak, peak of you know the hours I was putting in, you know, it was somewhere between like 15 to 20 hours a week of uh, – um, I say uncompensated time and uh, uncompensated time and a bunch of snitty emails from parents uh, on a regular basis. But during this period of time, uh, I went to a thing where is a mission banquet, right? So, you know, that our community does. As mission banquet, I had an individual that was from a totally separate church uh, who knew me through some other ways. He came up to me and was just like, well, you know what? This looks like the type of individual that I think uh, we could see going to Africa with us next year. And I looked at him, and I mean this in all sincerity, just like we're talking about we all have different callings and all that. I said, I have to be totally honest with you because I've been going to churches ever since I was a young teenager where they go to Ecuador and Africa and Asia and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm very well aware that I just said two different continents in a country. Just roll with it. Um, but, you know, in that whole time, like I went through that period of time where I was like – if I'm a real Christian, am I just supposed? To, I, I'm supposed to be doing this, right? Like that—that's like a requirement. I—I I, I have to get a passport and a plane ticket and go do missions somewhere, or else I'm not a real Christian. Like that's kind of the way it, it seemed like it was being impressed upon me. And I said, I have prayed and meditated on things and all of that over and over again, and I have to be totally honest with you. I have never felt that calling. I just haven't, you know? I mean, there's other types of mission trips I've been on that I said I'm totally into. I mean, when I was – I did some inner city stuff. I thought that was fantastic. I loved that. Um, but, you know, and and I, I promise you it was definitely not necessarily any more glamorous. You know, one place we went into, I remember before we went in there, uh, we had to call one of the uh, beat cops that was in that area, and he just had to, like – drive his cruiser through a few times because that's what caused all the drug dealers to go back into their townhomes so that we could go out and work with kids. Uh, so I'm just going to throw it out there. It wasn't like totally safe. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's the kind of thing where I just said, I've never felt that calling. It's just never been a thing for me, you know. And I think about the, 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 the things, especially now, that that would take me offline from doing that I legitimately feel called to do and I just – I've never felt like calling. His response to me is he just kind of said, well, I, I get it. You know, Maybe one day you'll be spiritually mature enough that you'll feel that calling on your heart. And what I wanted to say – well, there are a few things I wanted to say that, that weren't pastory, so I didn't say those. But what I wanted to say was, okay, yeah, I totally understand. 
Um, we have youth tomorrow. You want to come down and go do that, and then afterwards I can show you all the paperwork that I need to go do, and then we can do lesson planning and and you know you, you can you could go hang out hang out with all that. Uh, and I'm betting the answer would have been no, and that would have prompted me to be able to say, okay, well maybe one day you'll be spiritually mature enough to understand that the children are our future, and and, and imbibing them with a, a relationship with Jesus Christ is important. Um, the reality is that that would not have been, in addition to to not gaining me a lot of uh, political capital with that individual, um, it also would have been just as wrong for me because the reality is exactly what we're reading here. We. You know, there are different ministries with the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. We all have different things that we're called to do. And just because there's this these concepts that, you know, there are certain ministries are somehow more sanctified by the church proper than others, doesn't mean that those are somehow more holy or more worthy. Because what church organization has a monopoly on the divine plans of the Almighty? You know, God has called you and appointed you in a place and in a time to do certain things to reach certain people in certain ways using the gifts that he has given you. The purpose of the church, of the family, should be to be a family, to support you, to help you to think about things, to help convict you, to help motivate you, to help throw gasoline on the fire that you feel like you may have at the time. That's the purpose of the family. Your purpose is to recognize that by virtue of the fact that I am a new creation and that I am now defined as a part of my affiliation with the body of Christ, I feel like I need to be doing something. I need to be a part of the body that is either an eye, a hand, a foot, or whatever it is. And it may mean that that drives me towards service that is somehow glorious looking to the outside world, and it might mean driving me towards something that is very, very humble and quiet. What you do is not nearly as important as the fact that you do whatever God has called you to do. And if there is any way that the church can support you in whatever that laudable undertaking is, then that is the purpose of a healthy church. And so that is the thing that we have to ask ourselves and be self-aware about. Are we fulfilling our calling? Are we being cognizant of what the service is? Whether it's something as grand as you know doing some kind of uh, big international mission trip or whether it's something as simple as being that voice of care and compassion to an individual who maybe God brings in my life on a daily basis. Whatever it is, do it and do it to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we've had together once again. And we just pray that you would continue to um, you would continue to convict us, continue to show us the opportunities that we have to reach out to you and to, um, uh, uh, to, to demonstrate the fact that we are parts of this body, that we are all pulling in the same direction. Give us the, as we talked about earlier, the conviction to know when we need to get off of our rear ends and go do something. At the same time, give us the courage to be able to do the things that may seem difficult or may seem hard. Give us the energy to do things that may seem exhausting. And give us that childlike faith to be willing to do things even when it seems like maybe there isn't you know, a, a great 21-step process of exactly how we get to the, to the end. We understand that our service accounts for nothing if it is not done focused on you with an attitude that is focused on your objectives. And key and, and central to all of that is a kernel of faith. God, help us to be able to do the things 
that may seem illogical, that may seem hard, uh, so that we can be a part of something that is that is bigger, something that you can see and something that you've ordained to happen that may not be visible to the rest of the world. God, we thank you for the the many gifts, the many blessings, and the material wealth that you've you've provided us as as individuals, as a church, as a society. Now, God, help our eyes and our hearts to be open to the ways that we can use all of those things for something bigger than our own purposes. In your son's precious holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.